prepare our hearts for that and coming to seek the Lord uh, to be filled with his spirit for the year ahead. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. God found a man. He found a man that was after his heart. He wasn't a perfect man, but a man that desired to be after the very heart of God. And he says, Thou will and shall fulfill all, all my will. Do you know, we know that the perfect will of God is revealed to us in God's word. That is God's perfect will. As many would seek to know the will of God for their lives or as we look into the new year, we may be wondering or pondering what God has for us. But the perfect will of God is found in God's Word. It governs every aspect of our lives, every aspect of society, everything of our conduct, our conversation. It, it, it covers how we're to be a husband, how we're to be a father, how we're to be a mother, how we're to be a wife, how we're to be a child, how we're to be an older person, the life that we're supposed to live. It covers our stewardship of our finances and how we're to operate in tithing and giving on to the Lord and be faithful in those things. The Bible covers every aspect of your life and we find it in God's word. That is God's perfect will that we're called as an individual, as Christians, to follow after the word of God. The Bible says that whatsoever you do, that we're to do it all to the glory of God. And everything that we do in our lives, we're doing this all for his glory and for his honor. And we know that God seeks people that are worshipers, that worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, that that's not uh, something that we do on a Sunday. It's who we are as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. Worship is, is the, the Greek word there simply portrays a picture of a of a dog before its master licking his hand, that there's that humility of life, that there's that adoration of the master, that's Jesus, that in everything that we do, our whole purpose is because we adore him, that is Jesus Christ. We humbly worship him and live that life to please him and to glorify him. In Romans chapter 12, if you turn to it, those famous verses, those well-known verses, uh, just knowing the will of God for our lives uh, and the perfect will of God. But Paul writes here in uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the apostle is calling the church to present themselves as that living sacrifice by the mercies of God and to give our lives unto him afresh at the beginning of a year to give all to Jesus, to lay our lives on the altar as it were afresh, to give him our lives for his glory and for his honor and all these revelations concerning the perfect will of God are found in God's word. They're universal to every believer. This is our our guidance, if you like, this is our guidebook of how we are to conduct ourselves as believers. And then 
And then there are times, there are seasons, there are uh, perhaps generations or there, there are specific areas that there are divine revelations that come from the Lord for every life and for even a corporate gathering of people or for a church in a certain season. There are divine revelations that come that God reveals His heart his intention, his purpose, and his plan for such a time as this. What a day this is. And we want to hear, and we want to know what his heart is. We want to know what his will is. We want to know what his purpose is. We want to know what God is thinking towards us at this hour, and what his purpose is, what his intention is. And we, we, we want to know that, and to know that, brothers and sisters, then there's some things that we need to do. We need to shut out everything else. We need to shut down everything else. As it were, we need to clear the desk. And that's honestly what I've sought to do in the week that we've had. It was quieter. And then there's just that time where you clear everything off the desk and you begin to wait on the Lord. I want to know what your thought is. I want to know what your heart is. I want to know what you want to say. And it, it requires of us then in that time that we have to shut everything else out. We have to turn off our Facebook. We have to turn off our computers. We have to turn off all the voices that are trying to influence and speak to us. And we must sit and we must wait upon the Lord because He wants to reveal His heart to you and to I for this year that's coming in. Do you want to know what He has to say? And so there has to be a shutting off of these things. There has to be a pulling away. I'm not saying they're wrong. They can be used for wrong things. But what I'm saying is we become so preoccupied with all the voices and all the opinions. All I'm really interested in is what has he to say? What does God want to speak into his people, into the church at this time? What does he want to say into your life? What does God want to reveal to you as an individual? Because he's a God that speaks. He's a God that's real. He has a, he's a God that has a voice. He has ears that hear. He has a heart. And he wants to hear from you. But more importantly, he wants to reveal something to you. His heart towards you. How does that happen? It won't happen with his being full, flat out to the mat, running everywhere and listening to everything. And all the opinions and all the ideas. And then what everyone thinks you should do and you shouldn't do. And where you should go and what you should. Friends, we need to sit and we need to hear from God. We need to shut things down so we can hear what is He saying. God is speaking. I sought to do that and wait and to try and, and, and to cast down the imaginations and the thoughts and what people think. Then bring all those subject to him that he would speak into this heart. The divine revelation of God. Everything is subject, before I begin, is subject to this word. Everything, every revelation, every prophetic word, every utterance that comes is always subject to the authority of God's word. Once we step out of that, friends, we end up in trouble. But God speaks. He speaks at a time and a generation. And I believe in these end times, these end days, these dark days, God is speaking. God is revealing His heart. 
God is bringing warnings. God is bringing the truth into lies. God is speaking to individuals. Because the time is short. God's purpose will. God's intention. God's heart can be known. It's a wonderful thing. It can be known. Can be known by his children because we are his children. We are accepted in the beloved. We have received the, the, the spirit of adoption whereby we can cry out a father. So we are his children this morning. And a father wants to reveal his heart to us. Now I want to go back and where the Lord has led me to reveal some things into the book of Esther. And you know, if you turn back over into the book, I'll give you a minute or so to get there. But you know again. <clears throat> The book of Esther is found at the time of the Babylonian captivity. I know we've been in and around this for some weeks with Jeremiah. But it's just how the Lord's been leading me in preparation and looking and listening to what he's to say. And again, this was a time when Esther and her family and others were carried away. The Bible tells us that in Esther 2 and 6, they were carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity under that king at Jeconia at that time of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And the story is very well known. We're taught it from an early age in Sunday school. This young, beautiful Jewish girl under the providential hand of God finds herself in the palace of the king of Babylon. There was the search for a, a new king, a new queen, sorry, And in Esther chapter 2 and verse 17, it says these words of Esther that the king loved Esther above all the women, Esther 2 and 17, and she found, she obtained grace and favor in the sight of the king more than all the virgins. And so he set the royal crown upon her head. Now there's, there's wonderful types here because as Esther in a greater revelation for us, The Bible says in Hebrews 4 and 16, and we'll come to this next week in the second part, but it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Not you as a child of God in this world in which we're living, you have a divine and a wonderful privilege. The favor and the grace of God is upon your life. Did you know that? That God has divinely favored you, that there's a grace in your life. And we can come boldly to that throne of grace and we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What a privilege that is. What an honor that is. At the same time that Esther is being promoted, as it were, and given that divine providential position, there was another man that was being promoted in the kingdom. This man's name was Haman. Haman was a man that was promoted by the king to a very senior level within the kingdom. He was above the princes, the servants. He was so important, this man Haman, it's important you hear this, this man Haman was revered in all the kingdom. All the servants and all the princes were to bow down and honor him and praise him, this man Haman. But there was a man in the midst of all of that kingdom, we know him as Mordecai. He was the cousin or uncle of Esther and he was the man that that fathered Esther because she was orphaned and he looked after her. But this man, Mordecai, 
This was the only man in all the kingdom that would not buy. This is really important just that you listen as we move through this. There was a man in the midst of all of what was happening. He, he would not buy. And this really infuriated Haman. This worldly system that we are currently in, this religious world that we live in, this secular world that we live in, it reminds us again of even the three Hebrew children. We will not buy. You raise up your image, and this is where we're going because it's the worship of the Antichrist in the end days. But you raise up your image. But listen, let me tell you something. Whether he delivers us or he doesn't, we're still not going to bow to your image. There was a remnant in that kingdom that simply refused, just simply refused to buy. They would not buy. You know, I was watching a, a, a little clip was sent, and it was about Sardis. And, you know, I love the archaeological facts and history. And this professor was going around Asia Minor, those seven churches, and he, he goes to the ruins. The ruins are still there of those cities, and in particular Sardis. And he gives a bit of an insight. They're only 20 minutes long. They're really, really good. But he goes through the, the culture, the history, what's taking place, what's happening, and then how the Lord was speaking to Sardis and how I have some things against you. And he, he brought you into the culture of the time. And what actually had happened is that Sardis had become a pluralistic society. And what that simply means is, here's the definition of that is, it's a diverse society where the people in it believe all kinds of different things and everybody tolerates each other's belief. Does that sound familiar in any way? We, we live in a world that's a pluralistic, it's not a Christian society any longer, brothers and sisters. We need to change the mindset that we're living in a Christian world. We're not living in a Christian world. We're living in a multicultural, interfaith, multi-faith, pluralistic society that everyone must tolerate our differences. But do you notice something about those that are promoting tolerance? They actually are the most intolerant people when it comes to those who are born again Christians and love Jesus. As long as you're tolerant with their practice, their belief, their their sexual orientation, and all of their different appreciations of life. But when you say, I love Jesus, I'm a born-again Christian. Or do you, are you one of those ones that believe that there's only one way to get saved? One way to get to heaven. Praise the Lord, there's only one door. Who said that? Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Not what he is actually saying. Can I just tell you what he was saying? There is actually no other way. Every other religion and every other person on this planet is wrong. There's only one way and that's Jesus. Now when you believe that, which we do, and we're all collective in that, you see this tolerant, pluralistic society has an agenda They're not going to accept that. Our rule book, our, 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 our way of life is dictated to us by God's word. In Esther chapter 3 and verse 5, if you look at it for a moment, it says that when Haman saw 
that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reference what happened. Haman was full of wrath. What we're going to see in the year ahead and what we're going to see as the Lord uh, tarries his coming and if he gives us this year and even another year and maybe more years than that, I don't know, but he could come today, but he could come in five years' time. I don't know whether we have that length of time, but friends, let me tell you what is going to happen. There is a human culture that's rapidly rising and they're full of wrath against anyone who loves Jesus Christ and knows him as Savior and believes that he is the way, the truth, and the life and his word is the divine authority and the ultimate authority in all things. Do you feel it? I'm not talking about at this season, but this has been going on for years. So Haman goes to the king, verse 8, and says, There's a certain people scattered abroad, dispersed among the people in the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. In other words, there's a people in this kingdom, O king. Let me tell you something about them. They're different to everybody else. How many people know as a Christian that you're supposed to be different? Not just by laws and regulations. You're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. Your life is supposed to be different. We live different. We have different values. We have different focuses. We have different vision. We have different hope to this world. They don't have a hope. And he's saying, King, they have, they have their own laws. They operate, they operate according to another law. And neither do they keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not profitable for you to suffer them. In other words, O king, listen, see these people, we're better eliminating them. Somehow or another, can we just purge these Jews from the kingdom because they're not towing the line? That's what he's saying. Let me tell you a few things if you didn't know already, but for you to know and to pray about and to be aware of as we're coming into 2021. There is, at this present time, as we enter into this year, of course, there is a very real virus, a pestilence that's sweeping across our land. That's not our focus. There's a system behind the virus that's very real. That when the virus subsides, because it will, but when the virus subsides, this system that's in place will be the very system that they are going to use when there is an economic collapse. The system itself, it's not the virus. There's a real virus. We pray that people get well, that people come through it. But there's a system that's being created and it's very subtle. And if, if your focus becomes just, I'm focusing on the virus or the vaccine, if you don't step back a bit and clear the desk and say, God, would you speak to me and show me what's happening? You're going to be caught up in things that will get, your distracted, get you distracted from the real goal. There is other things happening. Unfortunately, these things happening in a subtle way because while everyone's focus is that, you know the devil is so subtle. 
There's a bill sitting on Boris Johnson's desk at the present time. Listen to this, friends, because it's important, because we end up missing what's really going on, because the devil creates the cloud. Everyone's looking at the dark cloud, and then at the same time, in the back door, that's how the devil works. We'll bring in these bills. One of those bills, very significant one, is the banning of conversion therapy. Have you ever heard, anybody heard about it? The banning of conversion. Well, I want to tell you something. I was converted on the 12th of September, 1993. Isn't it good to be converted? Are you converted? I'm a convert. I used to be a convict, but now I'm a convert. But listen, they're going to ban conversion therapy. It's going to be law. Listen carefully now, friends, because while everyone's sitting focused and this is terrible, and it is, if we don't clear the desk, step back, seek God, and know what's happening, friends, we're going to be slowly ushered into a lot of things that we had no idea was coming. So this bill that has been supported by 370 leading church figures, listen now, including Bishop Tutu and all the different ones and saying we must bring this in. There's a lot of things that it covers, but one of the areas that it covers is the banning of religious teaching concerning conversion. Thank God for the power of the gospel. Listen, friends, this is serious. This is so serious. While people are focused on so many other things, the, the power and the strategy of the enemy is so evident in these days. What are they saying? They are saying that they will ban a minister, but I'm not talking about someone that stands on a pulpit, including him, but everyone who's a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that if a young person who's confused about their sexuality because of the demonic powers, and you sit them down and say, I have an answer for you, His name is Jesus. He sets you free. He breaks the chains of sin. You can be born again and you can know the peace of God and the victory of Jesus in your life. You have just committed a crime. Serious, isn't it? And I can tell you something. Boris Johnson has no problem in putting it through. Things are moving fast because there's a lot of decoys. The other one that's moving in the same area that's going to move very quickly is that where the church has had an exemption from having to perform or to conduct same-sex marriages because of personal conscience and convictions in God's word, that's about to change. You hear me now? That's about to change. The government take their lead from the traditional churches, the Anglicans, the Presbyterians, the Methodists, so forth, the Roman Catholic Church. But the Anglican movement is about to change because it's divided the Anglican Church in half. But the sway of opinion is changing rapidly. They are about to come out as well with the Roman Catholic Church with a compromise that means that no longer will they prevent or take the exception clause. Now, we're just a wee church on the corner. 
but we've got a big God. But once they do that, then churches who refuse to marry same-sex couples, that will be classified as discrimination. We've come a long way from the cake. And thank God for that precious couple. But I'm going to tell you something. We've come a long way and we're moving fast. What that means is that when I, and I will, because I have convictions based upon God's word, that I will not buy by the grace of God, not because I'm some big, hard, tough guy, but because I love Jesus Christ. What that means is, friends, listen, this is coming close, but I, I believe we need to know these things because we're all focused on the virus and the vaccine. We don't see the whole picture, and it's even bigger than this. What that means is that you will be prosecuted you will be, I will be, okay, then I will be prosecuted. And if, if that is the case that I will not buy into that system, it is likely then that ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ who love the Lord and all the denominations across this land are going to find themselves prosecuted and imprisoned. This is the reality. This is not China. This is not North Korea. This is Northern Ireland. This is the United Kingdom. Are you hearing me this morning? What that means is, and I've said it before, that means that ministers of the gospel will be imprisoned for what they believe. And so as those ministers are put in prison and they're criminalized, and people might say, and even some listeners might say, hey, that's a way far fetched. That's not the way it's going to be. Because I have an ear with somebody in government. And I'm speaking to, and thank God that there are people in, in politicians, that there are people that are standing against this. But I want to tell you something. It will shock you, the amount that are voting for it. Thank God for those that are voting against it. But I'm going to tell you something. They're few in number, but thank God for them. So what that means is, and I've said this before, and people think, and we've laughed in some ways, but that means, friends, that ministers of the gospel, pastors and reverence and teachers and preachers and evangelists are going to begin to be prosecuted for what they believe in. That means that someone else is going to have to stand up that means that possibly you have to stand. That means that it's no longer that I just get fed and sit under the word every Sunday, but then I have to stand and I have to know whom I believed in. That I have to be a man of God. That I have to be a woman of God. That I can't just get fat in the word and enjoy it and come in and out. But this actually is real. This is real. Men with conviction, women with conviction, young people with conviction. We're not out to beat anyone over the head. We're out to proclaim that Jesus is the answer. He's the hope of our nation. He's come to set the prisoner free. He converts people. But government are going to point their finger at Jesus and say, we're banning you from converting people. The audacity of man. 
the arrogance of man, the pride of man, wagging their finger to Jesus and say, you cannot change a life. Thank God there's about 80 people in here and their lives have been changed by Jesus. I'm a convert. Think about it. Isn't it? It's nearly bizarre, ridiculous, but you see, there'll come a day when they call that which is good evil and that which is evil good. That day has come. Friends, what do we do? This is where the Lord has really brought something afresh to what his heart is. They find a people, and there's many. We're not the only ones, by the way. I know this so well. There's a whole remnant right across this island, and there's a whole remnant across these islands, and there's a remnant even across this whole continent that are saying, we're not going to buy. What an awesome day to be alive. What a privilege to be a Christian in the last days. What an honor to serve Jesus. What an honor to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ. What a privilege to walk this world for Jesus in the last days of time and see the prophetic offense unfolding and to know him as your Lord and Savior and to keep looking up because our redemption's coming in a moment. Awesome, friends. Awesome. But you see, there's something I want to show you here that's important for this year. And Esther 3 and 13, look what happened. Esther 3 and 13, letters were sent out by post unto all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, to cause, to perish Jews, both young and old, little children, women. And one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, which and to take the spoil of them for a prey. The copy of the writing for the commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people. This is their law. This is their bill that they should be ready against that day. The post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment. The decree was given in Shushan, the palace, and the king and Haman, they sat down to drink, and the city of Shushan was perplexed. Perplexed. No word perplexed means to be in confusion or to be entangled. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said, you don't need to turn to it, but I'll just quote it. Luke 21 and 25. There should be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, upon the earth, the stress of nations with perplexity. People are perplexed. They're at a loss. That's what it means. They don't know where to turn. Sarah prayed it this morning. They don't know where to turn. They're perplexed at the drive of this Antichrist system. But there's a response in this from the remnant, and this is really this is really what I want you to see this morning. I believe this is what the Lord has given me. I believe this is what the Lord's heart is. I believe it's the Father's heart at this time. There's actually a response. There's a response among that remnant. There's a response of, among the Mordecai-type people when they understand and see what happens. If you turn over into... Esther chapter 4 and verse 1, I want to show you it. When Mordecai, Esther 4 and 1, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, I want you to see this, this is crucial. Mordecai rent his clothes, put on sackcloth with ashes, went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry. Here's the Father's heart. I believe God's given me this. God's looking intercessors. 
He's looking for the ministry of intercession and prayer to be freshly anointed. He's looking every Christian to enter into a new ministry and intercession. And this is not something of the platform, the pulpit, or to be seen. This is something on our knees before the throne of grace. God is looking at people, the spirit of intercession to come upon that remnant when they understand or perceive everything that is happening. You see, three things that Mordecai did when he perceived all that was done. The first thing he did was rent his clothes. And Joel chapter 2, if you can turn to it, Joel 2 and verse 11. Joel 2 and 11, the rending of the clothes is a symbolic of the rending for the, for the new covenant believer of the heart. There is a rending of the heart of the believer. In Joel 2 and verse 11, it says these words, The Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can abide? Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all of your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. That's intercession. And he says, Rend your heart and not your garments. Turn unto the Lord your God. There is a rending of the heart of the church, the believer, the individuals, that word rend means to be broken. To be broken. You know, whatever your end time belief is, whatever your, I, your eschatology is, whatever you, you fit into in which bracket, let me tell you, friends, I would say 99%, I'll leave 1% because just in case there is some, but 99% of people would believe, Christians believe that we're in days the signs of the end of the age are all about is they believe whatever your your timing of everything. And if that is the case, if really that is the case, that we know we're in the last days, the last of the last days, and we know that Jesus is about to come, and we rejoice in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, know that he's coming for the bride. But if we all, all believe that and realize this, listen, realize this one thing. That if Christ comes, that there are loved ones, that there is people around us, that there are nations, that there are millions upon millions of people that are going to be plunged into a lost eternity forever. Where the worm dieth not. If we really believe this, and yet our hearts are not broken, there are no tears in our prayers. Our altars are empty. Our prayer meetings, we just dilly-dally in and dilly-dally out. And if we really believe this, and our hearts are cold and indifferent, and they're hardened to the things of God, and the Word of God just bounces off as another sermon, another week, another time, and there's no brokenness, there's no tears, there's no altar, there's no time for God. There's no time for prayer individually or even corporately. There's no preparation as we come together. Everything's just through the motions. And we're about to see Jesus and a world around us is about to be plunged into an eternal hell. And we're not moved. There's something wrong. 
Oh, Tim, you're playing with our emotions. I was, honestly, I'm not playing with your emotions. I'm telling you. And the, the Father's heart this morning, Christ is coming. Christ is coming, but there's a world, there's loved ones. We are sitting, we know, we hear, but we are sitting amongst loved ones that are about to be plunged into a lost sinner's hell, and it's forever. And hardly a tear is ever shed. A heart's hardly ever broken. Our prayer closet is empty. Our prayer meetings are sparse. Our prayers are dead. We go through the ritual, but we're not broken. No, we're not broken. We haven't the burden of the Lord. We don't allow the Spirit of God to come upon us and our hearts begin to break. And there's a groan in our spirit. There's an intercession. There's a breaking before the throne of grace. My God! He put sackcloth and ashes. That's a humbling of ourselves before God. There's a true repentance because of what has been wrong. And then he goes into the streets and he begins to cry with a bitter cry. Intercession. Intercession, friends. There's a cry with a bitter cry. You know what that means? That bitterness, there's a discontentment. There's a discontentment. There's something not right. It's not with him. It's not with him. Not, not with Jesus. But there's a discontentment amongst the body of Christ. We're saying, oh God. God, there's a world that don't even have a thought of you. There's a world they're not interested in this. There's a world you could just talk to them all day and it's nothing. You go down into the gutters of Belfast and you, and you see the depths of sin and brokenness and you go, my God, unless it's the power of God. And there's a cry. Some may say, I'm not sure about this intercession prayer. I understand that, but I want to tell you a few things about it. It is the, it is the high priestly ministry of Jesus right now in heaven. The Bible says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for him. Jesus is interceding for you. I'm all for intercession. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather it is Christ that is risen. Even as at the right hand of God. Who also maketh intercession for us. The Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 8. We're told verse 26. Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit, listen, the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. There is an intercession in God. Should there not be an intercession in the church? What really is the ministry of intercession? We see what Mordecai did, the things that he did. He rent his garments, he put on sackcloth and ashes, he cried bitterly. But I believe there's two really important things about the ministry of intercession that are crucial for, for you to even ask God to give you that ministry afresh. 
The first thing that you know about Mordecai and Esther 4 and 1, here's really what's important. And I think this is really a lot of where it's divided today. Mordecai perceived all that was done. There was a perception. There was a spiritual revelation. There was a spiritual understanding of the time. He grasped it. He understood it. He knew that the time had come. He understood what was happening in the realm of the Spirit. You know what the Bible says in Romans 13, 11? And that, knowing the time. Do you know the time? Do you have a perception of the time? Do you understand the time, saints? Sinner, do you understand the time? On seeing person, do you understand the time? Do you know what time it is? Knowing the time, it's high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. In other words, we are very close to Jesus coming. You need to wake up. You need to know the time. Mordecai, in the midst of that kingdom, and all that was going on, and all that Haman was doing, and all the people bowing. Haman loved the praise of men. He loved people bowing to him. Let me tell you something. There's only one man I'll take the knee to. His name's Jesus. There's only one man I'll bow to, and his name is Jesus. Do you know what time it is? Have you lost sight of the time? Do you know, are you able to perceive and understand where we are spiritually, where we are in the prophetic calendar, what is happening in our nation? Do you understand it, friends? Are we so locked up in our palace that we forget what's happening around us, that we see a world that's just plunging into hell? And we're not moved and the church is playing games and fighting and arguing and divided over the virus. Ministers inviting people for a fair fight at the pulpit. And the world is plummeting down into hell. Really? Do you think the church is asleep? Mordecai grasped and knew the time. There was a spiritual understanding. It wasn't just that he was a theological expert. There was a revelation. Jesus said in John 16 and 13, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you the things that come. How can we know? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. The perception, the understanding, the second thing that needs to happen, not only is there an understanding, but here's a very important thing too. Intercession must be spirit moved. It must be the moving of the spirit. You can't make it happen. You can't create it of the flesh. It has to be spirit inspired by faith. It's crucial. He reveals the heart. He reveals the need. He reveals. Listen, friends, there's a Hannah at an altar with a barren womb. 
And she's beginning to intercede. And the adversary is against her. But she knows if I get to this altar and I seek God, that this God's going to hear me. And the old priest might say, I'm drunk and I'm out of my mind. But I know I serve a God when I groan and cry that he's going to put a baby in my womb. She was moved. Sometimes the church is broken because it can't break itself. So God brings circumstances to break it. Oh, not break me. No, no. You know, I see it all, friends. Nobody will move me. I tell you, friends, pray God moves us all. I'm not for moving. Really? May God break us. Not just for the sake of creating the noise. Not just for the sake of just being broken. But may he break us because when the Spirit of God moves upon us in that humility and that brokenness and he begins to pray through us, then the church becomes a living womb. People are born of the Spirit. Born delivered. Born and converted. Born and set free by the power of a living God. We'll not need all the rooms filled with counselors, but God by a spirit comes and sets the captive free. Oh, friends, we've filled it with all the substitutes, but there's a reality. If the Son shall set you free, you'll be free indeed. Would the church say amen to that? You see, Noah being warned of the things not seen as yet. Do you know what it says? He was moved. He was moved. Let me tell you something, friends. It's very hard to get people moving today. Because we've become stuck in this old world of sin. And as that song says, I thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. But we're stuck in its system. We're stuck in its opinion. We're stuck in its mindset. We're stuck in what it thinks of us. Jesus is saying, don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. If you're going to fight a fight, you can't be entangled in the affairs of this world. This is the kingdom of God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's still a wonderful Savior. You see, he was moved. Because he had a perception, he understood of the things to come. Listen, sinner, in this room this morning. Listen, child, this morning that doesn't know Jesus as your Savior. You see, it cannot be by the persuasion in the sense of a natural man. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. But you need to know the day in which we're living. I hear it every week. I've heard it since I was a baby. I pray in the name of Jesus that the Spirit of God would move. Noah was moved, and he was moved with fear, but he was moved by faith. Intercession needs to have the Spirit moving, and there has to be a faith of the saint in entering in. You understand what I'm saying? You see, here is a wonderful scripture. For through him, Ephesians 2 and 18, we both have access by one spirit 
right to the heart of the Father. And I'm going to tell you something. Our Father can turn the heart of a king. Where do we need to get to? We need to get to the heart of the Father. We take that need. We take that people. We take that community. We take that loved one. We take that person that needs healing. There are people, friends, unless there's an intervention of God. They need a supernatural touch of God in their lives. We take that need. We, we, we are broken through that need. We are seeing, perceive it. And by the grace of God, the Spirit of God, who will groan and move through us, begins to move on that community, that, that, that gathering of God's people, because they're humble, they're broken before Him. And He begins to move, and through faith, we begin to pray. And you know what happens? He begins to heal, He begins to deliver, He begins to save, He begins to pour out His Spirit. The church becomes a living womb. God saying He wants intercessors. He sent people who are willing to intercede. People who are willing to say, God, I don't know maybe much about this, but I want you to move in my life and bring me into a place where when I get down on my knees, you know the faintest and the weakest of saint on his knees by the power of the Holy Ghost and through faith, I tell you, devils tremble. Devils tremble. A child on his knees that knows Jesus and is broken and begins to pray. And you know it. There's a young girl in this room prayed for her Auntie Emma and chased her up and down the lane. And she's sitting here by the grace of God this morning because the child prayed. Those children in that wee school prayed through for the finances to come in for this church like everybody did. But when you hear their prayers and you hear them praying and believing God for a new classroom and there it's nearly there. Because there's a simplicity of faith, but there's a real belief that what I prayed, he's able to do it. We get theological, we get concerned about what people think, and we just say the motions of prayer. God's wanting us to get on our knees. Older saints, not be afraid to get an altar and say, God, we need you. I'm too proud for that. I'm too religious for that. I don't need to do that. God, move us. Whether it's Moses with the Amalekites standing, sitting on the root on the mountaintop with his hands raised, interceding, and God gives the victory. Whether it was Moses as that plague was sweeping through Israel, and he says, The iron, iron, go and get coals in that pan, and you run down into the midst and stand between the living and the dead. Someone stand between the living and the dead. Someone pray. And as that smoke goes up into the nostrils of God, that plague is said, Oh God, have mercy. Someone get into the place of intercession and pray. Whether it be Moses' sister who has spoken against him and now she's covered in leprosy for a healing. Moses says, God, heal her. An intercessor. But this ministry... I want to tell you something about it. It makes people uncomfortable. Tradition doesn't like it. Formality doesn't like it. Religious people certainly don't like it. And you find this in this story. 
There's old Mordecai. He's rent the clothes. He's a sackcloth and ashes on. He's out in the middle of the street. Can you imagine it? He's crying out in bitterness. He's crying out to God. One of the wee maids said, looks like Mordecai. I better tell Esther. Hey, Esther, there's somebody out there. It looks very like your cousin. But I think there's something not right. He's making a bit of a spectacle of himself. He's crying out. He's whipped the clothes off. He's sackcloth and ashes. And he's crying bitterly in the street. And old Esther, see Esther, we'll come to her next week in the second part of this. But Esther was chosen. But she didn't know what she was called for. Know what she said? Get some clothes there. Go and cover him up. That's what religion loves to do. No, don't get too on fire. Don't get too excited. Whenever you do that, don't even clap your hands. I mean, you don't want to enjoy the presence of the Lord. Keep your religious garments on. Keep your straitjacket on. Stay bound. When Christ has come to set us free. But don't that intercession stuff, you know, that rocks the boat a wee bit. I want to tell you, friends, Esther's maids came and told her, says in verse 4, and the queen was exceedingly grieved. She's in the palace. A lot of Christians in the palace. Love the palace. She's in the palace. She's getting pampered. It's all easy. It's a bit like the Western church. Just everything's at ease. We're all materialistic. We should never have to suffer for the gospel. That's for China. We'll send her money over there. We'll send them food parcels, but we'll not have to suffer. There's no persecution for us. No, we'll send. We'll go and tell them that God's grace is sufficient, but we'll come back. I've done that. I'm not against mission. I love mission trips. I love going. But friends, what's there is coming here. She's grieved and she sent Raymond to clothe Mordecai to take away his sackcloth from him. Do you know what it says? But he received it not. He just said, no thank you. See, Mordecai was a watchman. Thank God for the cry of that voice in that city. He was a watchman. Intercessors, the ministry of intercession, the function of intercession, the church, as we're closing, <clears throat> must experience the pangs, the birth pangs, again, the groans in prayer. What I'm saying is, as we close, we need to repair altars. We need to get on our knees. We need to be broken. We need tears. We need God. We need to pray. We need to pray. May God visit us with the ministry of intercession. I want to tell you something. All ministry works out of that. All the functions work out of prayer. If it feels there, I want to tell you something to say this. The outreaches will be dried up and dead in three months because we'll all be exhausted. We need the power of God. We need the prayer 
the prayers of the saints. May God give us this ministry for this year. I believe it's his heart. Let's pray together this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.